This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. There was actually quite a bit going on in Michigan politics and government a few days before Christmas, during Christmas, just after Christmas. And we are fortunate to have with us as our first guest today, State Representative Sarah Cambenzi, Democrat of Marquette. She represents the 109th House District. That's most of Marquette County, including the city of Marquette and I believe Alger and Luce and Schoolcraft counties as well. Is that correct? Representative Cambenzi, thanks for being with us. That is correct. Thanks for having me. Well, you put out a release last week um, on the closing of U.S. Steel um, sites, Great Lakes work site in Ecorse and River Rouge. You pointed out that the Empire Mine in Marquette County in your district was idled in 2016. Nearly 400 high-paying jobs were lost, causing, you said, long-lasting economic damage to several communities in the UP. And you are concerned that similar effects will be felt throughout Southeast Michigan as a result of U.S. Steel's decision. I believe you've uh, introduced legislation to form a committee on Michigan's mining future. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and uh, the whole challenge ahead for Michigan mining. Sure. I, obviously, you know, the mining and steel um, industries are, are very much connected. And when I was in local government and the news of the Empire Mine um, that was set to idle was, was coming out, um, it made me think, you know, what are we doing as a state um, and what we do and don't do is really important. And I, I was able to look at where um, Cleveland Cliffs was shifting their investment, and it was to Minnesota in a state that actually took charge um, probably a decade earlier and said we need to make sure that if we want these jobs here, um, that we invest in the industry, we understand um, their, their business hurdles, we know that it's a capital-intensive industry that has to make long-term investments, um, so there's a lot of risk with that. How, as a state, can we, um, you know, make that easier, make them want to come to Minnesota? And a lot of that didn't have to do with big tax breaks. It had to actually do with taking a very small portion of what they pay in taxes, putting it in a fund, um, they have two funds, one for economic development, one for um, environmental upgrades. And if that company reinvests in their state, they actually match some of that money back. And it's a, it's a much less uh, capital-intensive capital way for the state to give back, and it actually helps ensure that those jobs do stay in that state. And when I saw this happen with U.S. Steel um, right before we went on our, our winter break, the same thoughts went through my mind. What are we doing as a state, and have we done enough? And I think the answer is we haven't. Yeah, when you uh, look at steel and fossil fuels and mining, they've gotten such a bad rap and bad press here in the past few years. Do you have a feeling that maybe various states, including Michigan, have just backed off being that concerned about these types of industries as being almost 
anachronisms, uh, outdated, uh, not the wave of the future, and have taken their eye off the ball and allowed these industries to suffer and collapse and move out of the state and close uh, by default because the state just isn't paying enough attention. What do you think? I, I think you're absolutely right. And certainly when you have, um, you know, for me, like I have the iron mines in my district, um, other representatives that have the, the steel mills in their district. Um, I am talking to these companies every, every month. Um, I do research into, you know, what's going on, um, you know, what challenges are they facing, um, what is the outlook. And so for me as a legislator, it's not just, um, you know, being there to pick up the phone when they call and they need help. It's actually getting out in front of it, um, showing them that I'm interested, giving them a way to, um, you know, be more connected to the state and understanding that we have some of the highest environmental standards um, in the world for mining in our steel mills. Um, it doesn't mean that some of the technology is outdated, like we're seeing with our blast furnaces, um, but what are we doing to actually encourage them to make investments? You know, the, the last thing I read with U.S. Steel is that um, we slapped on a $380,000 penalty from the Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and um, Energy. What is that signaling to them? Instead of sitting down and saying, we'd like to help you make investments in greener technology. Um, are we instead saying, hey, we're just going to fine you until you either go out of business or you do what we want when we want you to? And in the last administration under Governor Snyder, um, Cleveland Cliffs needed to do a $1 million water filtration plant upgrade. And instead of shoving it in front of them and saying, do it now, we've worked with them over the last five years. And now that they're in an upswing and the company is doing better, they're making those investments. And so I think we need to understand both the steel and mining industry better, but I also think we need to, to heed some of what the environmental community is pushing because I'm not sure that they understand exactly how stringent our rules and regulations are that are governing these and, and that we mine in a much more environmental mentally responsible manner here in the United States versus anywhere else in the world. And so I, I haven't had one environmentalist tell me they're going to quit riding their bike or they're going to quit driving their car or quit traveling in an airplane um, to some warm destination for a vacation. Everything we do every day involves using metal and steel. And if we can do it better here in the United States and keep these jobs here, why wouldn't we? This legislation you've created to form a committee on Michigan's mining future. You say you want to bridge the gap between the state and industry. Um, do you have any idea that the committee is that it's referred to is going to take the legislation up? I mean, what has to be done and what's in the bill? I mean, what kind of a committee? How big is the committee? What is its uh, composition? So the committee consists of 15 members and uh, they come from our university research uh, divisions at Michigan Tech. They have two professors on there. We have the previous um, DEQ director, Hal Fitch, is on there. We have uh, a member from our Native American tribe, uh, two members from the environmental community, as well as um, industry representatives from our, our iron mines, as well as our um, nickel and copper mines. So. It's a diverse group um, to get everyone at the table, but 
by no means are we looking at um, you know preventing mining from going forward. It's actually to you know take a long-term view and say what do we need to do to make sure this industry survives, especially when we're in these economic downturns. So um, very diverse group, but absolutely um, you know my vision is that they kind of do what Minnesota did and say how do we make sure that um, it's not an either-or question that, you know, the environment is protected while we mine and have our steel mills in our state. Have you gotten any signal from the Gretchen Whitmer administration uh, as to whether they favor your committee that you want to form? So the legislation did pass um, this summer, so it is official. And, I mean, there was... You know, some pushback, I think, especially initially, not really understanding what I was trying to do. Um, it did take a lot of effort to get, especially colleagues on my side of the aisle, to sign on to it. But in the end, um, it passed near unanimously um, in both chambers with, you know, one dissenting vote simply because he didn't want more government bureaucracy. But I think in the end, I was able to communicate to people that whether you like mining or not, um, it's here to stay, and if we are smart about it, um, we can do it better and protect the environment more, and you know everyone gets a win out of it. That was State Representative Sarah Cambenzi, Democrat of Marquette, explaining her legislation that's been enacted into law to form a committee on Michigan's mining future. Sarah Cambenzi from Marquette, thank you so much for being our guest and giving such a good explanation about a very important issue. Let's hope things get better for mining in Michigan. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we have another important guest here. He is State Representative Jack O'Malley, a Republican of Lake Ann, and he represents the 101st State House District, and that includes Leelanau County, Manistee County, Benzie County, and Mason County, four counties in northwestern Lower Peninsula. Representative O'Malley, thanks for being with us. I'm happy to be here, Bill. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And you've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> you, you've you got your fingers in a lot of pies. Uh, first of all, I just want to ask you about Pure Michigan, which sure. fell by the wayside in the budget battle so far anyway. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer vetoed. Uh, all the appropriated money toward Pure Michigan, and it was not among the items that the legislature sent back to her that she signed at the end of the year. Uh, And it looks right now like Pure Michigan is, like, defunct in terms of state funding. Uh, What's going on? You are trying to ride to the rescue, from what I gather, but uh, are you going to be able to pull it off? Well, I'm an optimist, so I'll answer that yes. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. As of right now, on uh, December 31st at the stroke of midnight, uh, there is no more money for Pure Michigan. And uh, I, I, I think that's a shame, and we can talk a little bit more about it in a moment. But you're right. Um, I thought it was, uh, you know, when, when the governor did her vetoes and her, her administrative movement, 
you know, if she would have cut uh, some of the budget from Pure Michigan, I think we would have all said, oh, well, that makes sense. But to go from uh, from full funding to uh, cold turkey, nothing, uh, I think was, was foolish. And I, I did drop a supplemental uh, on the last day to say, hey, let's restore funding. Now, I'm sure when we get back in January, there will be budget negotiations. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to do my best to make sure Pure Michigan is in those discussions. What does Pure Michigan do in your district? I mean, how positive an impact has it had? Well, Bill, I would tell you that Pure Michigan is huge for the entire state of Michigan, and I, I can get to that in a second. But for my district, uh, this district is northwest Michigan. I, I, I refer to it as the pinky of the mitten for folks who are, are wondering where that is. Uh, and if tourism is huge up here, uh, Traverse City is not in my district, but uh, it is right next door. Uh, that area is huge. It's huge for uh, the Upper Peninsula, uh, and, and we have a lot of tourism, so it's important. But I would also say that uh, Pure Michigan is important for the entire state for lots of reasons, but don't forget the comeback city of Detroit. The image of Detroit is grimy, crime-ridden, not a nice place. It's changing. It's coming back. But if we remove the, the uh, advertising source of that, that image of Detroit will stand, and that's uh, unfortunate for that great city. Is Pure Michigan Tim Allen and his ads, or is there more to it than that? Well, first of all, let me just say, having spent my entire life in broadcasting and advertising, uh, the company that put that campaign together, picked the music, have Tim Allen, the people who write those spots, they are fantastic. We kick every other state's butt when it comes to, uh, to our advertising campaign. And I think that Pure Michigan is about tourism, but it's also about the pride that the people of the state of Michigan have when they hear those spots in this great state. There was a time when Michigan was on the ropes, and those spots helped pick up our spirits. It also, in my opinion, uh, helps when we have trade junkets to uh, other countries. Pure Michigan goes along to, to uh, promote our state. Uh, people that come here say, hey, let's move here. Let's relocate our businesses here. So it's not just about uh, rounds of golf or visits to Mackinac Island. It's about so much more than just that. I hear you, but some of your colleagues, uh, alarmingly, in the wake of the governor's veto of Pure Michigan funding, uh, started making statements like, well, you know, maybe she got it right. Maybe the state shouldn't be involved uh, and that the private sector should come up with the money for Pure Michigan. Uh, that means you've got an even tougher battle. You don't even have the legislature uh, or all of it uh, on your side trying to get this money put back in the budget, right? Well, Bill, you know, anytime you have all of the legislature uh, on uh, agreeing to something, that's a rare day. So uh, I get that. But I think that uh, other states, obviously, uh, do uh, put money into it. Uh, and I'm not opposed to... Uh, looking at something to uh, to alter or adjust the funding mechanism for Pure Michigan. Uh, but I think we need to go, again, cold turkey, gone, uh, is foolish. Let's get it back on the board. Let's get it funded. And then we can have those discussions. Uh, but if we wait too long, all the momentum that was built by Pure Michigan uh, will, be, will be harmed. So if we want to have those discussions, I'm all for it. Uh, but, again, to go from uh, 60 to zero, if you will, uh, is, is crazy. And we need to get that funding back on the board. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's it. I, I'm willing to chat, 
but and talk things through. But we got to get the funding back, or we're hurting ourselves. Let's switch to a completely different subject. You've been very immersed in transportation issues in the House. Yes. And one of the pieces of legislation that has come to the forefront in just a month or two is uh, a bill introduced, or maybe it's a package of bills by your colleague, State Representative Jason Shepard of Monroe County, uh, to give the possibility of creating a Metro Detroit Mass Transit Authority, which has been something that's been kicked around for years and has come close to happening and yet always seems to get the axe at the 11th hour. Uh, What is going on with that? Uh, People down in Metro Detroit were ecstatic that uh, seemingly the units of government down there had their act together on what was needed, and they were excited that Representative Shepard had introduced this legislation. How do you look at it now, and what is likely to happen? Well, first, let me just say that uh, one of the things about that bill, I think it's 5229, uh, is that people are focusing on it as uh, Southeast Michigan Transit, which obviously that is. But people are focused on that. That bill would also allow all the counties in the state of Michigan to uh, to potentially uh, use that money for road work, whatever the case may be. So this isn't just about Metro Detroit, which I get that's the focus, but I think let's take a look at this. We'll look at it completely. Uh, there, there were some concerns. I know that the sponsor... Uh, and uh, and leadership have are saying, all right, let's take a look at it. So I think there's still some more work to be done on it uh, and some compromises to be had. So I think uh, when we get back in January, we'll see how that goes. So concerns are going to be addressed, and uh, I, I'm hopeful for uh, uh, Representative Shepard and, and Southeast Michigan that uh, things will go through. But if the bill needs a little work, let's uh, let's get it done and get it right before we move it on. Do you get the feeling that the Whitmer administration is on board with this legislation or not? I I have been told they are. So uh, I would assume that if we can get it through uh, uh, the House and the Senate, uh, again, with, I think, some appropriate changes that are coming, uh, that uh, it, it would it would move forward. But, you know, I, I'm not a, a soothsayer, or a, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm confident. All right, we got to take a short break, but we're going to be back with Representative Jack O'Malley, Republican of Lake Ann, the 101st State House District. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Representative Jack O'Malley of the 101st State House District, representing Leelanau, Manistee, Benzie, and Mason Counties, the Northwest Lower Peninsula. And we have talked about a couple of subjects, uh, Pure Michigan and uh, Mass Transit could be statewide uh, or around the state, according to Representative O'Malley. But I want to turn to something else. He came up with an idea of uh, how money to fix the damn roads might be made available to local communities on their own dime, on their own option, if they want to go in that direction. 
Can you explain to us, Representative O'Malley, what is your idea about, you know, a local gas tax on top of whatever taxes there are on gasoline, state and federal and sales otherwise? Well, let me just tell you, and I know time is short, and this is a complicated situation, but we held 12 hearings earlier this year focused on Road Building 101. I held about 18 town halls across the state, and I asked this question wherever I went. Is it the state's responsibility, uh, fundamentally, to pay for the repair and fix of every road in the state of Michigan? And the answer I got everywhere I went was no. So I started to think, all right, we've been focused on uh, uh, state funding, everything. uh, And and I'm not saying we don't need additional dollars, but we're focused on the state, the state, the state. When I think if we take just a little bit, look around that issue, just shift our focus a little bit, we'll see that our road problem is really a local road problem. The vast majority of roads in the state of Michigan are our local roads from your driveway to the highway. And those are the roads that stink. And Michigan, of 50 states, Michigan is the only state that does not allow its locals to raise revenues on their own. We do allow a millage or a bond, but that's a property tax. What other states do is say, okay, you can uh, have additional uh, registration fee for a county, let's say, or you can have a a local gas tax. Now, here's the thing. When, When people hear tax, you know, they start frothing at the mouth and get all excited. I get that. What's different here is this is a local option. Pick a county. we got 83 of them. The people can decide if they want to raise that local gas tax. All that money would stay in their county and be distributed by way of population. It's not a statewide tax. It's a local tax to fix those roads. And the people have the choice. And they're not forced to do it. We have 83 counties. It's not like 83 counties are going to run out and and, uh, go for a, a local gas option. But I like to say when I go in to buy a pair of shoes, let's say I'm buying brown shoes, I don't want to look at one pair. I want to have a couple of three pairs to look at so I can choose which option I want. Michigan is the only state that does not give its locals its options to raise funds. We would be joining what all the other states do if we do that. And this 12-bill package does much more than just that. It gives locals more uh, flexibility gives them uh, more opportunity. We've been so focused on state, state, state that we have handcuffed our locals. And I'm trying to get our locals uh, uh, more flexibility to get that road that you drive on every day fixed. This sounds reasonable to me, but I think it was uh, Mark Griffin from the Michigan Petroleum Association. I think he testified uh, at a committee meeting on this idea of a local gas tax option Uh, Very unfavorably, he said, this is a terrible idea. And he went on to say, you know, the way it's set up, it could result in all sorts of different tax levels uh, within a county. He said you could turn Michigan into a Cook County, Illinois, which is the county around Chicago, where he says nobody sells gas anymore because they got so many local taxes on their gas down there. Everybody goes across the county line to the adjacent counties. How do you answer that? Well, Mark Griffin's full of opinions, and he's entitled to them. I (laughs) I would say that this is a county tax, right? Yeah. So... And, you know, I get the when I talk to people and I'd say, what about a local tax? You know, people don't like taxes. I'd say, but listen, this is a local tax. It would stay in your county. So their fear is people will drive across the county line. Maybe someone will. But everybody I talked to said, well, wait a minute. It stays in my county and they'd be fixing my roads. 
yes. And everybody I've talked to said that's a good idea. So when it's just a, 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 a price of gas, it's already happening. Uh, one town has a one price and another town has another. So they're already dealing with that. But I think if County A, let's say Benzie County, my home county, chooses to do this, I would hope they try and they sell this to the people and say, look, this is going to stay home. This money is staying here. And I hope there's a sticker on every gas pump in that county that says, hey, three cents a nickel, whatever it is, stays in my county. Uh, so I think that, again, if you look at this from a different perspective, we're so focused on the way we've been doing it for 50 or 60 years. Let's shift our perspective just a little bit. And I think people get it, and they're saying, yeah, if it stays here, I'm willing to, uh, to pay that little extra. What are some of the other issues that you have been involved in you'd <laughs> like to talk about? Well, I'll tell you real quick. I have a bill that I'm working on. It's not ready yet. I haven't introduced it that would, ask, uh, that would set up a task force to look at our flooding and our erosion problems in the state of Michigan, not necessarily for this current uh, event because uh, it's already happening. But we need to look at future situations. You mean like the Lake Michigan shoreline, you mean? Yes. And Huron, all our Great Lakes. And the situation is flooding in Michigan is like earthquakes in California. It's going to happen again. So let's be better prepared. The other thing uh, that I do have out, and it's moved through one committee and now in ways and means, is uh, a two-bill package. Uh, for school bus safety, one uh, which would increase the penalties for running school bus, the stop signs, which is becoming a terrible problem, and the other uh, would make it a felony to board a bus, uh, school bus uh, to do bodily harm. And there's been some squawk that, oh, well, it's not that big an issue. And actually, it, it is a growing problem, and we need to be prepared for it because school buses are the softest target in our school, in our school safety chain. And we need to make sure that, uh, you know, Tommy and Susie, who are driving that school bus, they're not SWAT members. They need to be protected uh, when they're out in the, in the hinterlands uh, picking up our kids. I noticed that the Speaker of the House, Lee Chatfield, who is also from northern Michigan, from Levering, up near the Straits of Mackinac, uh, has said just in the past few days that uh, fix the damn roads is not just a priority of the Gretchen Whitmer administration. It's a top priority with him. And looking ahead uh, at all these various ways that money or revenue could be raised or shifted around or whatever, uh, what do you see falling into place? Do you think the local gas tax option will be a major part of whatever solution is reached, uh, what do you think is likely to happen? Well, Bill, let me just say everybody focuses on the, uh, the, the local gas option, which I get because everybody likes to owe tax, and, and like I said, people start dropping. I think the 12-bill package that we're moving forward is a huge part of the reforms that we need if we really want to fix the roads because the, the speaker has talked about the, the shift of the, the sales tax at the pump. I think that's huge. That's new revenue, in my opinion, that needs to happen. But then we need to focus uh, on our locals to help them fix the roads. And, uh, again, we don't have enough time to go into all 12 bills. But the package does that. And I, so, yes, I am going to be standing up loud and long saying, let's make sure that this 12-bill package, uh, people understand it, and realize that it is going to go along. If you want to fix the roads, let's take a different look at how we've been approaching it. And just throwing money at it is not going to get the job done. Uh, money's important, 
but there are other things that we need to be able to do, and this 12-bill package uh, really does uh, address them. Well, you talk about the local gas tax option. Is it solely county-based, or, I mean, within a county, could you have a situation where a city could put a tax on and maybe the township next to it either doesn't or puts a different tax on and then uh, a village puts something else on and you'd have a kind of patchwork of taxes? No. It wouldn't happen that way? No. And we're still working on it. We've got Treasury looking at it, and I hope the Petroleum Association uh, comes around because I think that uh, it would be good for them to, to join us and make sure that we get this right. That's about as good a capsule summation of a very <laughs> complex subject as you're ever going to hear from Representative Jack O'Malley, Republican of Lake and the 101st House District. Thank you so much for being our guest on The Political Insider, Representative O'Malley. Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year to you. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have with us the leader of the Senate Democrats in the Michigan legislature from the 27th Senate District. His district includes the city of Flint and the cities of Burton and Clio and Mount Morris and Swartz Creek and seven townships all in Genesee County. He's Jim Ananick. Uh, Democrat of Flint, Senator Ananick, welcome to the Political Insider. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you've got a lot on your plate because you're leader of the Senate Democrats. There's so many things we can talk about, but I want to talk about something that I think you have a particular interest in. I do, too. And there is a segment of the Michigan agriculture industry that also has an interest, and that's horse racing. And you've got a bill that I believe has already passed the Senate. It's over in the House. Uh, it kind of fits into the gambling package that was approved at the end of this year and signed by Governor Whitmer. But uh, there were some things missing in that package that could help horse racing in Michigan. And hopefully, if your bill can get all the way through the legislature and signed by the governor, it will solve the problem. Can you explain what's going on here? Yeah. So, I mean, Bill, you you know you're an expert in this, and you know more so than I am. I just was a kid who went to the track with his dad, and and uh, represent one that uh, that closed down while I was in office, and uh, a huge company called Amwest, who you're probably familiar with. Some of your some of your listeners might not be, right. but right, uh, a huge, uh, uh, you know. Uh, a gaming company that not just does horse horse racing but also does some casinos uh, purchased it and are planning on making a major investment. They purchased you know Sports Creek, racing, Sports Creek. Yes, and they, Sports they, Creek. they yeah. purchased Sports Creek in, yeah. in Sports Creek. And uh, you know, if you know anything about if you know anything about racing, you know uh, most tracks are closing; they're not opening right now. So to see a chance for life, you know, we thought we'd do everything we could to try to give uh, you know give it a shot in the arm. We mentioned the gaming package that was passed. So we're updating the Gaming Act uh, in, in a major way, probably the, the first time since it was passed by the voters 20-some years ago. And uh, so, you know, racetrack, you know, still, you walk into a racetrack almost anywhere in the country, there's going to be the traditional stuff that you do every day, right? You know, walk up to the, you know, walk up and, and place your bet. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I think what we were trying to do was update horse racing as we're updating casino, you know, casino games, right? Obviously, this, Michigan has sports betting. 
now we'll be allowed to have that. So my plan was to help get make it part of the overall package. Uh, obviously, we weren't able to get it all the way through uh, because of the lateness of it being introduced uh, into the into the conversation. But uh, so we got advanced deposit wagering sent to the governor. Uh, an update to that that'll be that's been signed, and that'll give them a little bit of a shot in the arm. But mine is a is an update to, to paramutual games that they call historical racing or HHR. Um, it's basically a, a machine that's in the in the casino. Uh, sorry, in the racetrack that uh, lets you, allows you to bet on races that have already happened. So you know, uh, you know people that hear that say, "Well, oh my God, couldn't there be fraud?" But you know, uh, they, they they take away a, a number of um, um, the machine takes away, and you have to do it relatively quickly as well. And uh, so you're basically it's another avenue to allow people to still wager on horse racing. But um, it's kind of a component that's very similar to simulcasting. Uh, and it's happened in other states, and it's, it's, it's been successful, and it's allowed for uh, more people to come in and to, and to enjoy the, uh, the real beauty of horse racing, in my opinion, and I think yours as well, because obviously you have a background in it. You know, um, there was a constitutional amendment passed in 2004, you're familiar with, I know, yep. Senator, which really put a crimp in horse racing's ability to expand in Michigan, does uh, your legislation and or the legislations the governor's already signed on advanced deposit wagering run afoul of that constitutional language? Could there be a challenge to what is being done for horse racing right now on the grounds that it basically flouts the wording of the constitutional amendment in 2004? Do you think it basically circumvents that and is allowable as legal? Yeah, let me answer it. I'll answer. I'll take it as two questions. We think, and having talked to a number of uh, attorneys that, that we think it is legal, that it is actually within the scope of the 2004 act, because it's not an expansion. It's just um, adding a parimutuel game, right? Every, Every year the lottery comes up with new ideas, uh, that are still within the scope of the lottery. We believe both advanced deposit wagering um, and the HHR um, will um, fit that. Now, obviously, they're going to be you know folks that may not agree with that. I'm going I'm to have to spend a lot of time in the, in the coming weeks and months with the casino lobbyists and trying to get them to understand what I'm trying to do here, and hopefully for them to uh, come to some place where they can get to agreement with it because they would be the lot likely people to challenge. Um, so you know, obviously. Something's not unconstitutional until someone challenges it, determines that it is. Uh, we think that that it, it, it passes the uh, constitutional muster, but you know, I'm not, an, uh, I'm not a constitutional attorney or an attorney at all. But we think, looking what other states have done and the way that we wrote the language, that it can actually pass uh, that that uh, standard. But um, I'm going to work with as many people as I can over the next, hopefully, a couple weeks. We don't want to go too long uh, to get to a place where we think we can get. Um, some agreement on it. You know, who's, who knows? I'm going to work my butt off trying to get it done. I have a lot of allies in Montreal that, that support horse racing. My bill was the only bill that passed 38 to nothing. So I think a lot of folks realize that horse racing is on its last uh, legs. And uh, if we can, if we want to save it, then um, this is this is probably the only way to do it. Um, hopefully that people will agree with me and we can get it done. You get a feeling over in the House they'll take it up pretty quickly in the new year? I got a commitment from the Chairman Iden that it'll get out of committee very quickly and then I got some work to do once it gets on the floor. Um, just basically making sure that I can get um, agreement from folks that, uh, that we, you know, if I have to make some compromises to it or, or changes, I'm more than happy to do that to make people feel comfortable. But uh, I'm just hoping to to give it a shot to to get to get to the governor. Uh, so I'm I, I'm optimistic, 
but um, I, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't give you a timeline, and I couldn't give you like a you know uh, one being I'm devastated, ten being I think it's going to pass and be done, and you know uh, overjoyed. I, I can't give you a number. I mean, it's, it's past five, but it's definitely not uh, ten. So I'm I know I have some work to do, but you know um, I've, I've I've had challenges before, and I've fi- figured out a way to get them done. So that's what I'm planning on doing. You get the feeling that the Whitmer administration is favorable. If it gets to her desk, she'll sign it. I think you know. I think um, you know. For I think I can get them there. You know. I think they haven't studied it because they were worried about they were working on the other package. This you know the entire year my bill got introduced. Right. You know, two weeks before um, we ended session, um, and uh, I would have preferred to have gone the whole way, but um, some of my colleagues uh, on the other side of the aisle were concerned that we may that it could tank the whole thing and. I, you know, was trying to be a team player, so I, I went along with the strategy. But uh, I think we have a, I think we have a shot. I think if it gets past, you know, uh, end of March, we're probably in trouble because you know, just you know how election, you know, election yeah. years are. Closer you get to the end of session, the harder it is to to do something. But um, you know, I, I got a lot of time in the beginning of the session to really work on this. Since it's a priority for my district. Yeah. What about uh, Am West? Uh, are they? insisting that they've got to have HHR in addition to ADW, Advanced Deposit Wagering, which is already passed. Uh, yeah. They, they, have to get they, really both, they have to get both to uh, resuscitate Sports Creek. Otherwise, they'll back out. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they provide, they've they put in for a provisional license, uh, and we're, we were granted that. So they've got uh, a little bit of time, but they know, obviously, you know, I mean, you, you know this better than I do. There are certain sta- certain things they have to do when they get those licenses as far as investment, things like that. And uh, they're waiting to see, um, basically contingent on HHR passing. And uh, we'll work on, you know, the good thing is when I have conversations with people, I don't, I don't run into automatic resistance. It's just, um, you know, making sure we, you know, people ask the question about expansion of gaming, and I think I have to, I'll have to do some work to explain why we think it's not and you know, also convince the casino that it's not. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously in 2004 when we passed, uh, when, the, when the bill was passed uh, for no more expansion of gaming, there wasn't sports betting, there wasn't, online gaming there wasn't some of the advances in lottery uh so clearly um if those things are not expansions i think uh this paramutual game is not one either so i think i think we have a good shot at at that argument it's just whether or not we can convince folks to get this done and i hope we can yeah m west one of the things they'd have to do is convert what was a harness track standard bread track into a thoroughbred track that's a yeah. pretty tall order right yeah, it's expensive for sure. But the good thing about Sports Creek is it's got a lot of it's got, it's got the land for it, and they think they have uh, they have the um, the the oh my God, what's the term uh, the rail for it? They already have it. Yeah. Um, so they have a lot of the they've made a lot of the upfront investment, um, and it would it be obviously for me? I would love to see it be a dual track, so you could have two different uh, seasons there. Um, just because I, I'd love to see yeah you know I'd love to see activity there as much as possible. Um, but we'll see. You know, and I, and I as as the, as the progress goes, I'd be more than happy to come back on and talk to you about it. Um, if, if you think your listeners would be interested, absolutely. I know, you yeah. know, because of your background, your background, you for sure would be. Um, and even if it's just the two of us are interested, <laughs> I'd be more than happy to talk about it with you. Hey, I'm having great fun just talking to you about it. Uh, I hope some other people are interested. I'm sure they are. And I want to thank so you, Senator Jim Ananick, uh Democratic Senator from Flint and Senate Democratic leader and his legislation to help the horse racing industry, particularly Sports Creek Raceway in his district, Sports Creek, Michigan. Thank you, Senator Ananick. My, my pleasure. Thank you.